Hello and welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you again this week for inviting me into your home. I am very happy to be joined this week uh, by my very first anonymous guest. And and I don't mean a member of the Hackster Group Anonymous. I mean, uh, just not named. Uh, we I have been contacted by somebody who is um, calling himself the Insider. And he appeared on Tony Ortega's blog a while back as a source of inside information about what's going on inside the Church of Scientology. Uh, as you all know, I've interviewed lots and lots of ex-Scientologists on this channel and members of other, uh, former members of other cult or destructive, you know, high control groups. But I've always been face to face. I've always had a name and a face and all of that to put with it. And maybe it's a little surprising that it's taken this long to get to somebody who is still inside and mentally, what we might call mentally out, but still physically in. And that's who the insider represents here. And so we're going to do a chat this week, but you're going to have uh, not a face to put with this name. And also, I am digitally altering his voice. Um, so all you're going to know about this person at this point now is that we're talking to a man who is inside the Church of Scientology, and that's fine. I'm not going to go prying into any personal details here. He has some very, very interesting things to relate and talk about, and uh, he and I have been in touch for a few weeks now. And I want to say that uh, this being, you know, I'm not a journalist. I am a former cult member who has gotten educated on the subject of coercive control, and I am an educator and kind of advocate or, or person who, you know, kind of is out there f trying to fight the good fight against high control groups and coercive control. That's my jam. That's my thing. That's what I do. Um, so not being a journalist, I am not trying to pretend to be one, uh, but Almost everything that we're going over that I have heard or talked with the insider about recently, I have also been able to verify independently with Catherine, the other uh, interview subject I've had the last couple of weeks, and some other sources that I have that you guys don't know about. So uh, that all being said is sort of the setup for this. Um, welcome, insider, to my show. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being for doing this. Um, it is not often that I am contacted by people who are still, you know, sort of considered by Scientology as members in good standing, still around, still, you know, uh, yeah, we're all, you know, one big happy Scientology family here. Um, but so this is a unique experience and an opportunity for me uh, that you've that you've reached out to me. So I want to thank you for, uh, you know, your courage, really, in doing this, because I know it's not easy. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I think uh, I recognize this is a unique position and I am trying to use that unique position to affect the change and hopefully get others uh, feel more encouraged to speak up as well. I'm curious what it is that prompted you to decide to contact me and Tony and start speaking up because it's a fairly easy choice to see that things are not good or are bad for you or for others and then just kind of 
you know, silently move out of it, you know, just kind of fade away, so to speak. Uh, but you're you're taking a different route here. What what prompted that? Well, um, for me, I think it wasn't so much some courageous decision. Hmm. Um, it just seemed to be the right thing to do. And um, having you know firsthand witnessing the abuses of Scientology for a very long time, um, and then rephrasing it in the context of actual understanding rather than the cult mindset that you're in. Um, I saw that I had the option to withdraw from it, you know, withdraw my allegiance and perhaps get away from some of the abuse of it myself. Um, but when it came to thinking of how many other people were still in and how much I was helped by everybody else that's spoken out, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you again for doing this. So um, I'm going to ask you about some topics. I've got uh, my famous, uh, you know, <laughs> show on a post-it note is what I <laughs> kind of make a bunch of notes for myself. And um, there have been recently, through the information um, that you've been giving me and Tony and other sources, Catherine and others, we have really seen lately that it appears, well, let's just say I am more optimistic or interested or even, you know, semi-excited about the possibility that Scientology's eventual implosion. I mean, there, there is an end to this. Scientology is not something that's going to take off, you know, like, like Christianity or something and, and take over the world. It's going to die. Um, its destruction is in its DNA. It's it it it, it 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 it's in its nature to destroy itself. Um, but I am a little excited about the speed with which that seems to be happening these days. So if I might um, have some areas that I might ask you about, since we obviously won't be diving into your personal details, <laughs> and see what you have to say about these various things, yeah. Absolutely. And Excellent. I'll say as a, mm -hmm. as a kind of a broader statement, I think, you know, yeah. we've discussed this before. Um, the fact of the matter is that Scientology as a subject is uh, in underground vaults that'll last for potentially thousands of years. So when we talk about the end of Scientology, I think I'm talking about the end of corporate Scientology, right. the end of the organization. And I think you are too. That's correct. Um, yeah. Yes. Oh, I actually, I, yeah, just to say this really out loud, because yeah, I guess I assumed this would be understood, but you're absolutely right to say this out loud. The, the, the subject of Scientology is represented by the books and lectures of L. Ron Hubbard. And those books and lectures number, you know, in the thousands, tens of thousands all over the world. Those printing presses and, and the CDs and all that stuff have been rolling off the line for a very long time. So the idea that you're going to go collect all that stuff up, destroy it, and there's not going to be any trace and we're going to salt the earth and all that, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the demise of Scientology. But certainly, as you mentioned, corporate Scientology, the business of it, the, the, the sort of corporate structure of it is what seems to be rapidly imploding. And so while you might be able to go to a used bookstore and pick up Dianetics or Fundamentals of Thought, that's not the same thing as walking into a Church of Scientology and uh, experiencing the rapacious sales and the, uh, and the, you know, the layers and layers of mind control, the thought reform, the, you know, all of that 
is is sort of uh, uh, anyway that's what's going away uh, at least that's what we want to have go away so absolutely and yeah. i also think that um you know you you've talked in the past about the possibility of if if events had been different there could have been a quote gentler scientology that's right um i think we have to also remember that fundamentally scientology does not work yes. that is the basic thing the, the things that that work in it have worked um before it and after it and not because of it um and you know hubbard adopted and or stole so many different concepts from so many different places we have to kind of look at these things in their various different uh many faceted ways and i think what we could see as a result of the culmination of various factors occurring right now is an end of corporate scientology as we know it and hopefully an end to the mass scale abuses that occur but i think scientology as a subject or as a conversation point will be you know here for long after uh our lifetimes yeah exactly there's a, I, I i i don't know if i'm getting this right but there's a um uh, so, so don't quote me on this, but it, but but conceptually, this is true that there was a group that that died off, like all the way back in the in the eighteen hundreds or something. Very small group. I think it was called the Muggletonians or something. And the last member didn't actually die off, yeah. and the subject didn't die off for like another forty years or something. I mean, these things just kind of have a life of their own. But but yes, to see the end of the street, you know, the facades and the buildings and the and the sea organization and, you know, just the rapacious nonsense that goes on in there would be definitely a benefit for mankind. So that's what we hope to to see uh, happen here. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, being on the same page as I think we are, um, let's go ahead and talk about why we think this might be happening uh, or what it is that's causing this to sort of speed up uh, the process of its of its own self-destruction. So first off, we have a couple related topics, but we can start with what I think, based on what you've told me, what, what Catherine has broken down, it appears that these COVID protocols and the, the basically the church's response to the COVID epidemic was so over the top, so out to lunch, so pseudoscientific and nonsensical that it actually angered a good chunk of the church membership. Would you like to explain in detail what, what that's all about? Yes, I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. Um, basically what happened is an order came down to all the classified boards, that there were to be new protocols in place um, for the foreseeable future, um, supposed to be a solution to COVID-19. And um, one of the biggest aspects of that was the immediate closing of all classified boards. That's they just right. closed the buildings. That's right. And those class five orgs are are uh, for our non Scientology lingo <laughs> viewers are the city level churches, uh, you know, like the Church of Scientology of Denver or New York or Milano. These these city level operations are called class five organizations uh, within the Scientology hierarchy, and they all closed closed the doors and locked them. And that is not something that has ever happened in Scientology's history. It's, yes, it's something that was incredibly unique. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things that was impossible 
to Scientologists. That's right. In our in the worst, you know, nightmare of what could possibly go wrong to the Church of Scientology, that would be the worst thing. And um, we did it to ourselves. And so even in the context of Scientology, it was clearly something that was a, a mistake on the part of management. And I think that uh, opened a lot of people's eyes to what's going on, or at least started them into questioning it. Right. And I would say, based on um, based on what the staff have reported, and at some point management did take an interest in how the public was responding to things, um, but I don't think they were very happy with the results of that survey. Um, it was it was basically you had a core group of people that are going to do whatever they're told, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. and that's a, a minority, uh, you know. And then you have the people that are willing to put up with it for the sake of their own personal freedom. So they think, um, and then you had a group of people that are just unwilling to compromise. And, um, I think Scientology requires a tremendous amount of compromise. And the minute you stop being willing to do that is you're, you're already halfway out the door. Right. That's right. Cause you're now setting up question marks in your mind about the subject or the directives and, and commands you're receiving from it. And, uh, and they're all about compliance and loyalty. So when you start questioning things, they don't like that too much. Exactly. And there were also other aspects of the protocols um, to explain kind of in a nutshell what it all was, mm-hmm. is there is a chemical called uh, Decon 7, which is essentially not, not a, it's not a harmful chemical. It's a, it's a peroxide based cleaning solution. And it does have uh, application when applied correctly in um, you know, the handling of uh, bacteria and viruses and things that are surface borne and surface transmitted. Um, and the thing is that the churches rolled out this Decon 7 as well as all these cleaning protocols um, about two months prior to finding out that COVID-19 was airborne. Um, so that, you know, the, the dynamics, as the dynamics of our understanding of the virus changed, the protocols and policy of the church did not. And uh, to this day, they are still enforcing gloves and masks for all the staff and public. And they are still to this day. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. I thought they might have at least slacked off on the gloves at this point. How interesting. So to this day, this is still happening. Well, again, we have to remember it's if we talked about uh, everything that management desires and then what's actually happening on the ground floor. (laughs) Of course. um, you know, you, you walk, if you walk into a class five org these days, the receptionist may or may not have a mask on, or at least they'll have it around their chin and put it up when you walk in the building. Um, gloves is kind of the same way. Right. right. Um, but anytime they make a show of it, um, as far as I know, flag is the only place now where there are uh, pretty, pretty drastic. Uh, some of the restrictions have been lifted in a mm. drastic way. Mm. But everywhere else, it's still masks and gloves. Wow. And even a flag, it's still it's still masks for the staff. And they're still cleaning with Decon 7. So here you have this this product that's by itself, it's not a harmful product. You know, bleach is bleach is not uh hazardous if used properly to clean. Mm-hmm. It can be very beneficial. But with Decon 7, um, they are misusing it to a tremendous degree. Exactly. Exactly. They're, 
You could actually look this stuff up. I'm looking at the D7 website right now. I mean, there's a whole thing on this. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty strong stuff, though. They, you know, obviously, if you use it with uh, within its instructions, you'll be fine. But I think, as you'll detail, they've been uh, going a little bit overboard with it. Oh uh, yeah, that's a uh, yes, overboard. Um, basically, every single org, every single city level class five org has been made to fog and clean every surface with liquid decon seven all day long all day long wow this entire for the last almost three years and uh, i mean to the point where the woodwork and metalwork is wearing down from cleaning and during the height of the pandemic in 2020 they basically did a, a, a musical chairs they shuffled around all the staff and some of these orgs you know when the, when they have 12 15 staff um, are now suddenly told that they need to have three cleaners on post in order to do all these protocols. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you know, people that were auditors or executives or whatever they were now cleaning toilets or spraying with Decon 7 and fogging the building three times a day. Right. Um, and when the building was shut down, literally when there's no public in the building and the doors are locked and nobody's coming in, staff had to live in the building and still enforce those protocols. Yep. spraying empty rooms three times a day for no one for nobody coming and if that doesn't uh if that doesn't illustrate <laughs> the state of scientology today i don't know what does i tell you i mean that is actually quite a nice reduced uh you know epitome of how nonsensical this whole thing is uh because yeah it's not even like they're opening up the shop and opening the doors and okay we're gonna prep for all the people coming in they were closed and they were still cleaning like mad and they were closed for like two years <laughs> i mean this was not for a month well, or two yeah it wasn't that long okay not that they were, long. they were closed for about seven months okay seven all right fine. but again you know we can we can talk to that too when they did finally open up right it's with many caveats right there is no purif there is no srd at a class five level right and that the means that they're not that basically means they're not doing that sauna detox program and they are not doing what was considered over the last many years to be the most successful or the biggest service that these orgs could deliver, which is called the survival rundown. And it was basically, if you guys have followed my channel at all, it's, called, it's an objectives co-audit. It's people auditing each other on these objective processes where they're looking at walls and touching walls and things like that rather than recalling things that happened 25 million years ago they're they're just rocking around touching walls it's a it's just as bizarre but um but it's a different kind of auditing and they do that kind of auditing by the way for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours it's it's you know it's it's measured in in terms of hundreds of hours of of time to get through those those actions. So it was a real nice way to keep the public coming in and staying on their services for a very long time. Yes. And, and to add to that, the staying on their services for a very long time is probably the most important aspect of it. Yep. Exactly. As an actual paid service, the Purif, uh, which is the detox program and the SRD, which is the objectives auditing, they're not very expensive. Mm -hmm. And it takes a long time to do them. Mm -hmm. And if you were to work it out financially, they're probably not making very much money for the organization. Mm -mm. But it produces a tremendous amount of statistics all across the board. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have somebody that's doing something like that, like the SRD that takes years of commitment, 
um, and going through multiple different people that you're, because you, you twin up with another person and you audit each other. And uh, as anybody who's been in a class five org as a supervisor would know, uh, those don't last all the time. So sometimes you have one person paying $2,500 for a service, spending two years on that service and being twinned up with three or four different people in order to accomplish it. That's right. And of course, then they, they still put the flag and get told it was done all wrong <laughs> and have to do it again. Exactly. And the funny, you know, there are so many just on this one point, and, and I think this will, this will, um, you know, kind of indicate more to my, um, to my, you know, to the people who are more familiar with Scientology and its, and its sort of structure and services. Um, it's, it's kind of hilarious to me that they opened up their organizations again, and yet the, these two big services can't be delivered because they have to meet certain requirements. And yet, within the world of Scientology, the service that you would think would everybody would need to do right away after an epidemic would be a Purif. Exactly. If they, if they were following their own doctrines. Right? Exactly. But this, yeah, this indicates a departure from their doctrines of of some of some real magnitude, not only this, but also the fact that you were going to be getting into a whole lot of trouble if you ended up getting sick, you know, which we'll get, which you can describe or which we can talk yes, about. Yes, that's a perfect segue. Yeah. So one of the fundamental key principles of the protocols is that if everybody was following them and everyone was using the D7 and wearing the masks and gloves and everything else, then no public or staff should be sick for any reason. Right. And the only statistic that the org was required to track in compliance with this program was sick and ill staff or public. Mm. And the goal was to have consistently zero sick or ill staff or public. Right. Another right. thing that was presented as how the programs were supposed to be is they, they said, this is just, these are phases of reopening. That's how the program was titled mm -hmm. phase one of reopening. Well, there is no phase past phase one. There's not a single class five org on the planet that ever did phase two. Suddenly, an order just came down to open up. The restrictions were changed slightly based on the, the telexes they were getting, but there is no official phase two of reopening. So the staff don't really know what's going on. And when they submit a CSW to be approved with the phase one of reopening, it just falls into oblivion, goes nowhere. Wow. So there's not even any possibility of these guys being able to get back to business as usual right now. They have no idea. It is all up in the air. There's no clear direction on it. And Miscavige is not even talking to the staff, really. He's talking to flag public. And, what, and, and what do you mean by that? How does that work? Just because of the lack of the events? Or what do you, what do you mean? The, the briefings that he's given where he updated or changed the protocols mm -hmm. were mostly were first given to flag. Mm. And the birthday event um, did show some of the changes of that, but there was a briefing given subsequently to that mm. uh, that he did at Flag, really just to public, local public. Mm. And it was it was a very kind of off the cuff presentation. It was filmed and it's being shown to Flag, but it's not being exported around to, to the whole the whole world of Scientology. Oh, and, that's interesting. Yeah. So most of the known information to Scientologists about what's going on is just through the rumor mill. It's just through people talking about it. So even when um, 
Uh, and to give you an example of that, if I'm only, I'm only laughing because of that that senior principle in Scientology that if it isn't written, it isn't true. <laughs> right. Well, very little gets put in writing anymore. Right. It's all it's all stated, you know, verbally or via telex. Right. And when it gets down to the Scientologist level talking about it, you either have, you know, you again, you have people falling into these categories. Either they implicitly agree with it no matter what, or they find fault with it but decide to put up with it for as long as is necessary, or they reject it outright. And a significant number of people are rejecting it outright. And right. I think that 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 it would be impossible for Scientology not to have lost um, at least a third of their members wow. from pre-pandemic to now. Maybe not in um, you know outright stated, but in terms of people fading off the lines, disappearing, you know, not not uh, continuing to support the group. I think that's happening to a very large degree. Okay, and to put this into some numbers, um, based on your and other people's conjecture about this, because this third, third, third thing that you mentioned, uh, Catherine also was uh, agreeable on those figures as well when we were talking about this with her and her experience with it. She thought, yeah, it sounds about right. Um, so we're saying basically here that if you look at the roughly, we were guesstimating 30, 35,000 Scientologists worldwide pre-COVID. Those were the kind of numbers we would kick around when we were talking about how many Scientologists are there. And that was a number that was kind of, we thought, well, if, if we're being conservative, we're, if we're kind of like, you know, highballing it, 35,000, right? 30,000. So now we're saying 20,000. I mean, we're like, Easily. yeah, one out of three is just kind of gone now. Is that, that, that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And That's I big. Think it, yeah, it's, it's huge. And yeah. I, I think it, just in simple, um, if we set aside whether people are in or out in their own mindset for a moment, yep. if we look at it just statistics-wise, based on how many people are actually coming into the organization, how many events are being held where people are showing up, and how much commitment and dedication is being readily made, that number is, is going off a cliff. Right. You know, as right. people step away from the constant bombardment of propaganda and take a minute to realize that some of the good in their life is not based on their interaction with Scientology, they inevitably question these things. That's right. And, you know, Scientology is, is the, the, the real trap of it is it's a, it's a religion that teaches you to question everything except itself. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a great way of putting it. Um, and in fact, this is really highlighting um, a, a point that um, that gets made, but maybe not made enough. And that is that thought reform or mind control or the whole Manchurian candidate kind of idea, if you go all the way back to the 50s where this came from, um, requires constant watering. You know, like you have to constantly keep the conditioning alive in a person in order to keep them in a certain mindset. And if you remove that conditioning or lighten it or lessen it, uh, for whatever reason, person, you know, is just not exposed to it as often, that conditioning and, and mind control starts kind of wearing off is, is really how you'd put it. Uh, because the person is starting to be influenced by other factors in their life that become more of a, um, 
well, influence on them, you know, than Scientology. And if they're not getting their fix <laughs> of auditing and the classwork and the event, you know, and the events and all the good news that gets pumped into their heads, then, you know, you start getting this kind of effect where people are like, oh, wait a minute, maybe this isn't what I thought it was and that kind of thing. And, and they can start thinking a bit more critically or clearly about the topic. So, it's, so it's, it really does matter how much you're exposed to this kind of thing in terms of uh, its, its influence on you. Absolutely. I think it, it, it matters a lot. Yeah. You know, and um, I think people that know little about Scientology think that everyone who's in Scientology is being audited all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's actually far from the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd say the majority of people are not actually getting any auditing. So certainly the staff in the Sea Org and the majority are not getting much auditing. And the public that are is if they have the money and uh, given the recent financial debacles, which I'm sure we'll go into as well, yep. many don't have the money right now. So, you know, I'd say, uh, let's say at in the best of times, maybe 40% of all Scientologists were ever actually getting any consistent Scientology auditing. And I think that's really high, high estimate, yep. but it's not just the auditing that keeps you to it. That's it's right. the environment. That's it's right. the group. You know, most Scientologists haven't even read many Scientology books or studied many Scientology courses. They are there for the, uh, the culture of it, uh, more, more than the technology of it. Mm. Mm. Well, that is that would actually be consistent with, I think, almost any organized religion in that sense, because community, right. you know, is a very, very, very strong component as to why organized religion thrives. And uh, and Scientology would not be an exception there. I think that the um, that perhaps the uh, smarts or the idea behind that survival rundown, that that objectives co-audit was to get more Scientologists in session more often because it was cheap and easy to do and it was a long lasting service. So it was a way to cheaply get a whole bunch of people that kind of dopamine hit on a semi-regular basis that they need. Maybe that's one of the things Scientologists get a little addicted to. But I think you're right that even with that, you still got probably about less than half of the Scientologists actually doing that. And now that we've seen, you know, okay, officially closed for seven months, but even when they reopen, they can't go back in there and do these services. So for all intents and purposes, as far as service delivery goes, these orgs are still closed. Essentially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just the auditing. It's just not just the service. Some people are addicted to the whole concept of it. Yes. The whole I idea of going, yeah. going in. And so if you consider that there were people who may have gotten out before because they thought the tech was going bad mm -hmm. with all these changes, well, that's still only a minority of people because most people in Scientology don't even understand the tech well enough to know that it's wrong. Right. So what they've lost now is they've lost the last uh, thing that was keeping them in, which is their community. And when they don't have that, the, the, everything else matters very little. Yep. 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 You know? Yep. Exactly. So, Especially with... Um, this other component that is tied into this, and I thought we might, I don't know how to talk about one without the other because of the special nature of this, and that is the conspiracy theories. Yes. 
I, I had thought to bring that up as well. Yeah, because they're intimately tied together because of the Scientology mindset, the conspiratorial mindset of L. Ron Hubbard and what he puts into the Scientology materials, and then how the world has kind of developed, you know, 9-11 conspiracy theories and um, uh, QAnon level stuff, which is pretty much bottom of the barrel when it comes to conspiracy theories. You're, you're all the way down there when you're in the QAnon headspace. That's about as deep as the conspiracy world. Poor is, man Scientology. Yeah. And then, you know, Scientology feeds right into that. So uh, they really do go hand in hand so easily because of the way Hubbard put his uh, conspiracy framework together. So that being, you know, so, so and I, I, you know, you can see videos where I talk about that at, in detail. So we don't have to revisit all of that. But given the fact that a whole chunk of Scientologists are very conspiratorially minded, how did that play out with the COVID protocols and the and the uh, the last couple of years of of activity there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, first, I'll say that I think the thing that Scientology and any conspiracy have in, in common is that they both sell certainty. Mm -hmm. They both sell the idea that all these problems you have, all these horrible things that are happening, you know, the 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 things you can point to in the world, even in most of these conspiracy theories. Uh, these things did happen. 9-11 happens, a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. And they say, you don't have to worry about why these things happened. Um, you don't have to uh, think that it's all these these things that are outside of your control. It's actually very much in, in your control. Just trust the plan. Q, Q is leading the way. Just trust the plan. And in Scientology, it's just trust the tech. Just go up the bridge. Don't worry about all that. Don't think about it. So essentially, in that way, they are the same. Uh, whatever mythology you can build around it, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so it was a very, you know, I, I said before, if you made a Venn diagram of uh, Scientologists and Q believers, it would almost be a circle. Mm. Um, it, it's very closely connected. And um, the uh, it's actually even more intimately connected in, in that as people were unable to give their devotion to their church, to uh they started giving their devotion to q or to whatever strange other conspiracy facet they they go hole they go down hmm. and i mean you had all kinds of scientologists getting up to all kinds of wacky things uh tony's reported on uh leah dundas i think is her name is yes. one of the big, big proponents but you know she is a she is a good example of what that whole movement looks like inside of scientology and ironically, that has also resulted in a lot of people leaving Scientology because uh, even though they're just trading one uh, conspiracy for another, uh, when they start framing things in a different framework that isn't Scientology, they lose the thing that holds them to it. Right. You know, and so in, in, in a strange way, Scientology is just losing people from, from their lack of total connection to them. Well, and it's so interesting to me because the conspiracy thing was so, when I was in, and I left in 2013, right, 2012, when I was in, conspiracy theory was, an, was important, and, uh, and certainly in the Sea Org, we used it, um, and we didn't use it like, oh, we're knowingly manipulating people, we used it because we believed it. Yeah, I really thought that, you know, the 9-11 inside job, all that stuff, because I was given materials to make me think that. There was a whole 
briefing put together that we used PowerPoint presentations. I mean, this was a really kind of formalized thing in Scientology. It's not just Scientologists talking to each other about what they read on 4chan. This is in the materials of, of L. Ron Hubbard. And, and it really, there's very little that L. Ron Hubbard had to say about planetary control and the nefarious forces that control the planet and all that. Very little that he had to say that contradicts anything in the QAnon world. True. Right? So they, so, so they really mesh quite well. But then we had a situation where these COVID protocols come down and they are basically saying COVID's very real, COVID's very dangerous, and you have to take all these extreme actions to prevent yourself and others from getting sick. And this is being fed to a group of people who don't believe COVID's even a thing, who think it's some conspiracy, who think it's some fake news thing to control us. So, so that must have caused, you know, we talk about cognitive dissonance all the time. I mean, this must have just made some people's heads explode inside Scientology. It really did. And one of the other things that, uh, coming back to what the protocols actually stated, yeah. is that the, it, was, it was made pretty explicitly clear that nobody should be sick because of these protocols. Right. And not just sick with COVID, but any illness whatsoever. Um, which flies directly in the face of all the PTSSP technology and everything that's, that Hubbard ever said about um, how people are, why people get sick and all of that. Yeah. So even by their own doctrines, it didn't make sense. Yeah. And then after time, as, as protocols out in the world and our understanding of COVID in the world changed, the protocols did not. Right. So you have, you have people you know, walking around uh, still wearing masks and gloves and then they look like tinfoil hat wearing lunatics. By the standard of everyone else you know even the most devout uh the devout follower of every protocol that the cdc has ever put out looks at these people and thinks they're a little funny right so right. it's just Is such it, a <laughs> i mean i don't know if you could if i if you had asked me what would be the most direct way to piss off the most scientologists in the shortest amount of time i would never have imagined this it's it's truly bizarre. It's, it's truly it's mind-boggling. It is, yeah. and it, it kind of, you know, we've talked about what is the mindset of Miscavige. Why is he doing this? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I've stated that I think he is, in a way, uh, blind to what's really going on. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a there's not a serial member who would dare report something, quote unquote, in theta to him. And so you have this entire construct of any, anywhere he goes, he gets the best, the best presentation they can provide him. And he doesn't actually see what's really going on yeah. um, until it's too late. Or if he does know about it, he waits until it blows up in their face and then blames somebody else for it. That's right. Which is pretty Hubbard, Hubbardarian, I guess you could say, right? I mean, that was exactly the way Hubbard would operate as well. Right. You know, and he was constantly scapegoating people and claiming... And that the master move for Hubbard and Miscavige is, well, I didn't know anything about that. But now that I know, I'm taking all this direct action and, you know, heads are going to go on a pike and all that. And, you know, it's going to get ugly. Um, but, of course, they always, the leader always escapes scot-free, right? Well, I didn't know or, or whatever. But it turns out maybe Miscavige didn't know. I mean, he might actually be in a kind of bubble world himself.
Well, I'll say, um, you know, when, when I ask myself the question, how do Scientologists believe this guy? Mm-hmm. Why do they, how could they think this is possible? In, in hindsight, it's, it's obvious for me to see, but at the time I, I realized that it's the exact same phenomena as an individual Scientologist in that anything that goes good in your life, anything that is, that is successful, that is um, beneficial to you, that's because of Scientology. Mm-hmm. And anything that goes wrong in your life is either your failure to apply it, failure to apply Scientology, or some other thing. It's never looked at as Scientology caused this thing to happen or go bad. And that's the exact same thing when you're looking at David Miscavige. Anything that goes good in the church, he takes responsibility for, that's his. Anything that goes bad, it has nothing to do with him. And all he did was find out about it and correct it. That's right. And that just creates a way where it's, it's very easy for you to uh, immediately go, yeah, that makes sense, and rationalize that. And, and you, as a Scientologist, you go, well, um, even if you get to the point of understanding that everybody else is crazy, you know, management's all crazy, oh, they're, they're all SPs or something, you still think, well, at least we have COB leading the charge and, and trying to hopefully uh, put everything right. 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 And it's just false. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting. Uh, so, so interesting to watch this play out. Um, because it, because it is hard to know it's, you know, we conjecture all kinds of different ways. We know Miscavige is not an idiot. Uh, we know that he, you know, is red. He, he is intelligent. He has a vocabulary. He has the ability to think things through yet. He's also trapped in this world where he is King, but he's, it's a very tiny little world kingdom, you know? And so he's, he's got all the power, but, it, but only in this very, defined space and um and he himself is now apparently over the last you know a couple years here has been making moves or decisions that are just so contradictory to everything that this that this entire subject is built on that he's kind of whether he means to do it or not whether he's doing it by design or by accident or by incompetence or whatever He's he's quite literally sawing off the branch he's sitting on. That's a great way of putting it. Um, you know, he's he's really painted himself into a corner here. Yeah. He has built his empire on lies, and it's the only thing that feeds the beast he's created is lies. Yeah. If he starts telling any kind of truth, the whole thing would fall apart. So his only option is to continue lying, and I don't think we saw that any better than in the event. You know, the, the statistics that he presented are just utterly insane. Yeah, what, is, what, what, tell the audience, what was that all about? What did he say? <laughs> it's not everybody heard that briefing. Yeah, he basically claimed that during this period of COVID over the last several years, while, while essentially every other organization, individual on the planet suffered, mm-hmm. um, as a result of this, Scientology managed to multiply its uh, multiply its production by a scale of 54 times <laughs> 54 i and mean that, he, that is a claim that where we had one person walking into the building or one hour of auditing delivered before covid now we're delivering 54 well like what yes i suppose it depends very much on how it is being looked at you know they present it in a way that's very confusing you can't really understand exactly what the statistic is right and that's a big part of how they uh obfuscate the truth 
but even with all the you know all the tricks and all the little propaganda you cannot claim that Scientology has expanded over this period it is just so demonstrably untrue right and yet that's what he's done he's he's trying to feed the beast more lies um and people are just starting to wake up to it right right so it's a unique situation where the only thing he can he can do is continue to do what he has done but by doing that he's leading to further destruction exactly exactly yeah he can't and it really would have been so amazing and honest if he had come out at that event and said damn these two years kind of sucked huh (laughs) what do y'all think kind of sucked didn't it let's go ahead and get the get the show back on the road let's get things going again i mean he could have come out with that kind of messaging and it would have been a lot more real you know but it would have been real and it also would have uh really allowed him to save face and it would have gotten people to commit to him further right instead he came out and pretty much the only thing he said is i secretly hate those protocols too and you didn't hear about scientology in the news did you get with the COVID outbreak and that was kind of the address of COVID. he also just just stated blatant lies he said that every class five org was opened up phase to phase to phase which is completely untrue and i think it's really bizarre and i, I think that also um it does illustrate what he doesn't know because that statement he made every single staff member on the planet watching that is going to go that's a lie yep yeah that's a lot there's no way that they're going to accept that right. and either he knows that and doesn't care or he doesn't know that he doesn't know that right either way not a he's good look yeah whether he's doing this intentionally or unintentionally either way the effect is really bad that's right that's right so the thing that and i i just want to take every opportunity i can to highlight this little piece of uh this little nugget of of important information about cult mindsets and thinking is that the way you bust somebody out of a cult mindset if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty of it is you have to there has to be a moral violation or transgression Uh, that is unforgivable, an unforgivable moral transgression that the person cannot deny happened. If that occurs, the lights start going on, right, with a person. And that can happen lots and lots and lots of different ways. Having your dear leader lie to you indisputably, irrefutably, like that's absolutely not true, is one of the ways you might start busting people out of that kind of weird cult headspace and that's and that's why it's so funny to me to watch this play out where Miscavige is the one doing it yeah it's it's yeah. really interesting you know yeah. um if you look at it if anybody in Scientology were to apply Scientology to itself they would leave Scientology yes and Miscavige is no different he he has his own operating basis, which is somewhat in alignment with the policy of Scientology, and many, in many cases not. Mm-hmm. Um, all he can do is continue to do that. But by doing that, he's undoing it himself. Exactly. And he has an organization that will do anything he says, but uh, not really do what he wants. And his only his only solution is to apply more fear and to tighten the reins further. That's right. And you know, when you do that, you just have people start slipping out the sides and and 
Um, I think there are CR members that have been dedicated, devout CR members for decades that are questioning everything as a result of these protocols, particularly at PacBase. Mm. I had heard that nobody was allowed to leave PAC for like the two years COVID was going down, like during, like from the begin, from March, 2020 till like this year, I think it was like, yeah, nobody's leaving the base for any reason, even going to the grocery stores on Sunday. Do you know anything about that? That is true with some exceptions. Okay. Yes. Um, nobody was allowed to leave the base on their usual CSP time. Okay. Um, that is true. There were people that were given time off LOAs and that kind of thing, but mm. very few and far between, and I'm sure they had to fight uh, to the claw to get it. Right. Um, but yes, no, the, the staff for at least a year and a half were not allowed to even walk off the base. They could not leave El Ron Way. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm telling you, from having done an RPF for three years, and the only place we were ever allowed to go was the hospital, <laughs> um, that was that it, that base becomes a very small world very quickly when you're trapped in it. And I can see why that alone would create some stir craziness, but then with the protocols and the and the ice the enforced isolation, do you want to talk about the vaccination uh, issues? Yeah. Yes. Um, first, I'd like to just kind of talk about the mindset of a CR member at Pack Base. Yeah. Um, the concept that they had of the state of the world during this pandemic was very, very, very different from the reality. What they were being told is that we cannot open up, we cannot lift these restrictions until it is safe to do so. And we're going to do that based on the world's statistics on COVID. In other words, if there are, if COVID is still around in the world, then we're going to be following these protocols. And the whole thing about it is, and well, a ton of prevention is, is, uh, is the solution. You know, mm -hmm. there's that, that LRH quote, an ounce of prevention is worth a ton of cure. Yeah. And so they've said a, a ton of prevention is uh, worth a ton of cure. You know? <laughs> is better I mean, than, <laughs> than having the cure. Really, yeah. That's their, that's the tagline for this whole operation. Got it. Straight from, from Miscavige, from the IT Network Bulletin. Um, and so the CEO members there believe that what they're doing is, is, is necessary. And they believe that for a long time. I don't know if they believe it now. Um, but during the, the, the first part of it, when all this stuff rolled out, they literally thought that, um, people were dying out there left and right uh, to a degree so much more than what it was. And, you know, take the, whatever, uh, if you want to point the finger at any mainstream media and say, oh, they inflated the numbers or they did this nowhere more will you see that than inside the church of Scientology. Uh, the CR members were terrified of what was happening. Wow. And there were also people within the CR that were getting sick and some of them were dying. You know, there were a lot of older CR members and, and things like that. So, of course, you know, the, the, the church's initial response to it is, okay, get all the old people off the base. Now they have to go stay off base. And if they die in some hotel on Hollywood Boulevard, who cares? Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's par for the course with how they deal with the elderly. Right. Firm, yeah. But um, the, the vaccines, Yes. essentially what happened is an order came down that everybody had to be vaccinated on the PAC base. Mm -hmm. um, this order came from the office of the MLO, which uh, I don't know who that is, nor does anybody else. 
And um, it was just, you know, yeah, we've done the research and this is the best thing. and It's going to keep everyone safe and it'll allow us to lift some of these restrictions. So this is a good thing. Um, and if you talked about that in a different context out in the big wide world, maybe not such a big deal. Depends on, on what you think about these things. And of course, it's a point of contention everywhere. But you have to understand that for Sea Org members, their, their viewpoints on how bad vaccines are and how evil they are. They feel that strong, as strong about that as they feel about their beliefs in Scientology. Yep. These are almost one and the same. That's right. I was saying, and just to bolster that, uh, years ago, before, way before COVID, I was seeing official emails and and communications from senior Scientology Sea Org members to the public that were incredibly anti-vax, just blatantly straight up. You're, they're, they're, this is one of the controls of psychiatry and the medical profession and, and uh, big pharma to control the world is through vaccinations and you got to be careful of those and don't get vaccinated was the messaging. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure at some point it was used as a reg tactic for IS funds as well. Look at what they're doing with these vaccines. Absolutely. Or CCHR, any place they can fit it in. That's right. So if we, just to put this into context, when you're asking despite your own whatever you feel about vaccination um what what was asked of these seward members was to was to violate their most fundamental personal integrity it would be like asking them to commit a suppressive act it would be like asking them in their minds to go on this show and speak out against scientology to them that is the greatest crime that they could commit right that's right and yet now they are being ordered to do that under threat of literal confinement yeah, what was the what was the punishment if they didn't do it? Well, it wasn't stated as a punishment, of course. It was now, of course, this is a choice. You can choose to get vaccinated or not. A bit, a bit like the uh, the old orientation film with your your, <laughs> your choices here. That's you right. Choose... <laughs> you could uh, so you could can... also jump off a cliff. It would be stupid, but you could do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was, you can choose to get vaccinated or you can go into quarantine for the safety of everyone else because, and this is the absolute absurdity of it, even though you're still following all the protocols and you're still doing the masks and gloves, you're spraying with the D7 and you're, you're gargling your mouth with it if they told you to, now this new thing is the vaccine. And if you don't have this, then you are a danger to everyone else. Right, right. So, and it, so it's not even internally a consistent messaging. Not at all. Yeah. So people that didn't want to get the vaccine were put into quarantine, which is essentially uh, isolation in a room alone with no contact to the outside world other than the person who runs that area. They bring you your food. They bring you your water. You have books if you manage to take them with you, and that's it. And you can stay in there for as long as you like until you decide that you're going to comply. Mm. That was the option. So it's Mm. not much of an option. Right. Right. Yeah, that, your world suddenly becomes a five by five foot room. Exactly. Yeah. So what what happened as a result of all that is these Seward members eventually gave in and got the vaccine, having been told that this would make the restrictions lift and that they wouldn't have to do all this other stuff. Well, the only thing that actually changed was that the public no longer had to quarantine. And by that, we mean... That when the the pack base is the big blue, is all the, blue, the all the blue buildings in Los Angeles, right? We all know that. So, 
when people come to that base, they often come from out of town. They don't, they're not always just local LA residents. And so when you show up to that base and you want to do services there, they were quarantining you for two weeks before they were letting you go do services. Is that, that how I, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, everyone had to quarantine, um, which of course you had to pay for if you were staying in their hotels. Mm -hmm. And then once you were done with your quarantine, you could not leave the base or you would have to quarantine again. So you're only eating their food. You're only staying in their hotels. You're walking up and down the street to the course rooms or to the auditing rooms and pretty much nowhere else. Right. Wow. Okay. So you didn't even have freedom of movement after that. And so, no. so everybody getting vaccinated canceled that requirement of the mandatory quarantine for the public. Yes. So okay. that's the only thing that changed. The staff still had to wear masks and gloves. The staff still had to do everything else. The only thing that changed is that the public no longer had to quarantine. Okay. And of course, they use this as a sales tool. You know, come to come to Pack Base. Don't go to Flag. Don't go to all these other places. You're going to have to pay to quarantine. Come here and you can get in session tomorrow. Right. Now, right. of course, um, weeks after the entire base had been vaccinated, COVID came through and ravaged the you know, ravaged one or two people. And then of course they quarantined half the base because if somebody got sick in a building, then uh, that's the whole building that's getting quarantined. So oh, wow. it's, it's just the combination of absurdities. They say the decon seven and the protocols are the solution to all sickness. Oops, somebody got sick. Okay, well, we need the vaccines. Oops, somebody still got sick. Uh, okay, well, let's just keep quarantining everybody forever. Right. And this is not to say that the vaccines don't work, you know, but the, if you actually look at the material on them, they don't say that it's 100%. No, of course you know, not. Course. Of course not. Yeah, that's, what, that's what the steward members were told. Get this vaccine and you're 100% covered and you'll never get COVID and this will never be a problem. So even when they're doing something that could be a benefit to people, they do it in such a way that it harms them. And that's the thing that's really, yes. <laughs> so annoying, man. It's like every wrong turn you can take, you know, every single thing you could do to make this situation worse. And clearly this is not all just on Miscavige's shoulders. I mean, he wasn't making every one of these decisions, but the lack of oversight, the lack of common sense here, the lack of any real science in any of this or any ability to even consult with science it is just such a band of incompetency, you know. It's just it's 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 staggering, staggeringly stupid to 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 have learned about all this. I was shocked. I I couldn't believe the the comedy of errors here. Truly, yeah. And it's there's not even a uniformity to it, you know. Uh, every every base has kind of different approaches to things, mm. and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. So it's you know. It, it's it's very hard to, to track down who is actually ordering these things. And anytime you try to find out, you just get directed to, oh, it's the office of so-and-so, or it's coming from management, you know? And it's like, well, who is that? <laughs> right. And there, there's no answer to that question. Nope. And there hasn't been for 20 years. This is the This is one of the many unintended consequences of Miscavige basically, you know, uh, salting the earth, wiping out management as a structure, and then, you know, salting the earth so nobody can ever be at that level again. And this is, you know, this kind of nonsense is is a direct result of that. Right. So I think if we talk about coming back to where we started here is the collapse of corporate Scientology. Yes. 
Um, that's the only possible outcome to this. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. we, if we look at something in, in simple simple facts, the, the statistics are overall are going down. The group numbers overall are going down. The only thing that is growing in Scientology is the square footage of buildings, and even that has slowed. Right. You know, there are there are several buildings that have been completed since prior to COVID that sits sits complete and empty right. because they won't open them unless they can use them as a propaganda tool. That's right. That's right. So even even the things that worked, as wrong as they were, the whole ideal org program, they worked at making a lot of money for Scientology. Not even those things are really working anymore. Right. And so what do you have left when all that's gone? Um, and I think that's a good place to talk about the golden age of Advent. Go ahead. I would say, broadly speaking, the golden age of admin is to tech, or excuse me, is to administration what the golden age of tech phase one was to tech. And to elaborate on that, I mm -hmm. mean, that's the, what's golden age of tech phase one did is it lengthened the runway of every single course by a massive degree. Yeah. And the reasoning that was given behind that is we want 100% standard tech 100% of the time. Yep, and the only way to achieve that is through this this method that that uh, Miscavige came up with. That's right. That's so, right. And and to demonstrate the numbers on this, because I literally oversaw the delivery in the entire Western United States when this happened in 1996. So just to give some numbers here, a course, a class that teaches you how to use the e-meter, just as a sample representative of what Miscavige did here that class would take you about a week, maybe two, to get through. After the Golden Age of Tech was released, which was this whole series of revisions to how training gets done in Scientology, that same class was revised, and it took people three years to get through it. Because the standard suddenly became this incredibly insane level of you have to be perfect or you're no good. And that is that destroyed Scientology training. Uh, to this day, I don't think it's ever really fully recovered, uh, you know, to where it used to be. But that's a, just as a quick example of, of, of just how awful that was. Great example. Yeah. Yeah. And it. It destroyed the ability for Scientology to create more auditors, which is the way that Scientology made its money. That's right. And really, it's the reason that uh, straight registration became such a big drive is because there was simply no other way to get money. That's right. That's right. So what Golden Age of Tech did was essentially undid a lot of the things that Golden Age of Tech Phase 1 uh, implemented. Hmm. So you, you have, ten, you know, uh, a decade, more than a decade later, um, all of these things changing, really just undoing what was implemented as the solution before. <laughs> and now we're seeing the exact same thing with the Golden Age of Admin. Yeah. The, the length of time for courses has been greatly extended, um, even down to the most basic staff courses, staff status one and two. The staff status two course, which is supposed to be basically a really quick way to get somebody added on their post, is now essentially as as long of a course as the previous uh, basic staff had, or OEC Bowl Zero. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. So to to convert this to English for everybody out there, right? You have staff members come on, sign a contract, and start working as as religious volunteers for the organization, both Sea Org or Class Five staff. Same kind of lineup goes for them in terms of learning 
L. Ron Hubbard's basic policies for how to make your way around in the organization and understand what the hell's going on around you. It's a Scientology organization. It has Scientology policies. L. Ron Hubbard says how we run things here. And you have to learn what those policies say. But <laughs> what, you're see what you're saying here is that you might go and get a uh, the equivalent of a day or two seminar and kind of get grooved in on what to do and what the various policies say and learn your job and get to it. Or <laughs> you could go do an MBA <laughs> and take two years, right? And you don't get to start working until you get through an MBA. It's kind of similar example there of how, how he extended it to make it impossible to get through. Yes, that's a, a perfect way of describing it. Yeah. And that has basically happened at all levels of staff training. Ugh, now, wow. is it being presented that way? Of course not. Okay. The way it's being presented is, um, if you've listened to the event, basically that the reason everything was wrong is because some bad secretary misordered the papers. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I, I won't even go into that. I but, laughed uh, out loud. His explanation was so bad. I I thought, wow, I don't know if there are, if even Scientologists are going to take this one. This is this is pretty bad. I I don't think they did. Hmm. And something else to understand as well that uh, distinguishes Golden Age of Admin from the Golden Age of Tech is that there are when the Golden Age of Admin Phase One and Phase Two came out, <laughs> a lot of uh, tech technical bulletins were updated, revised, and or canceled. Um, and that was a big thing in Scientology because there were things that you go, yeah, that never seemed right. <laughs> you know, I never really agreed with that. And now you're vindicated and it keeps you going. There is nothing like that for the golden age of admin. There is, there is no policy that has been canceled. There is no new policy that has been found. The only problem that it solves is the invented one of things being out of order. Right. And what it actually does is it lengthens the runway of every single course. And the big push is the OEC, the organization, uh, organizational executive course, and the FEBC, the flag executive briefing course. These are two of the largest training courses in Scientology. And that is what the golden age of admin is essentially pushing, um, and particularly for the staff. Wow. Wow. I mean, it really does kind of come across, if you, if you step out of it and out of all the Scientologies of it, what it looks like is Miscavige is trying to just overwhelm these guys with so much stuff to do that they just spin their wheels doing that rather than thinking too much about what he's doing. That is a good observation. And I, I think to, I'd like to talk about that more yeah. because what's happening here is that this is very enticing for the staff, but not for the public. Right. As far as the public are concerned, nothing has changed. Right. The public are not doing the OEC, FEBC. They're, they're just not. So this is being very much presented toward the staff. And they are saying that when you do your OEC, FEBC, and this applies only to the executives in an organization, so the upper, upper management of a, a lower class five organization, uh, they will also get a bunch of auditing. They'll get um, the superpower auditing done at FLAG. And they'll get other auditing and clean up, clean up their case, so to speak, done by flag. So ah. this is very, very, very enticing to staff. Yeah, you know, I they, could see them being excited by that. 
Right. But when we look at how many staff are there to be enticed, the entire training program at Flag right now of, of pretty much all the staff they can muster from every org on the planet, every class five org on the planet, is less less than a thousand people, way less. It's about about five hundred. Right. Right. To compare that, 2013, the golden age of tech phase two training program was about 1,100 people. Yep. So just based on those numbers alone, we're we're at half. Right. That's right. And you know, um, another way to look at it would be the the two to one tech admin ratio. You could look at it and say that nothing has changed. You know, from in other words, the golden age of tech did not result in greater expansion. We have the same number of people or less, and we're running them through another training program to essentially the same result. Right. Exactly. I'm pretty sure then if this is the big hot to trot thing right now, then this also means that the orgs are receiving desperately intent orders uh, to send staff to flag. Right. And it's going to be a, yes. it's going to fall down to there's going to come a, a, a breaking point. It's going to come a. It has to be done by this date so that the release can happen kind of thing that because um, historically that's how it always goes. Um, where Sea Org missions or Sea Org orders or whatever will go into these orgs and just start ripping the staff out. Just, you know, you're going, you're going to flag, you're going to flag, you're going to flag, go, just go, you know, and we don't care what job you have or what you're doing here or how much you're holding down or whatever. But honestly, if the orgs aren't delivering much these days, there's probably not a whole lot to hold down. Well, yes. And, you know, you say they, you're right and that they go and they rip people off of whatever post they're on and throw them yeah. in flag. But what's being sold to the staff, and this is really the biggest point of the whole thing, yeah. is the staff are going, wow, now we're really, really going to weed out the riffraff here. You know, people will only get through these courses if they're qualified. And that's why these, these organizations aren't expanding, because we do not have qualified staff. Ah, ah, I love it. But you I have to understand that as a normal thinking person, we look at that and we go, well, hold on. If there's only a, a very limited number of people and none of them, there are no new people coming in, then wouldn't getting rid of your, your staff, even if they're maybe not so qualified, wouldn't that shrink the organization? But the Scientologists believe that the only reason the organization is small is because they have these unqualified people. They call it a camouflage hole. That's right. So in their minds, getting rid of staff members eliminating them out through this rigorous training that's impossible to get through would mean greater statistics for the organization. Exactly. And, uh, we'll, we'll see if that works. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the prediction is on that. But, and, and this is exactly, I'm so glad you brought that up because this is exactly the kind of thinking that I'm talking about when I say it's in the DNA of this, of this organization to destroy itself. Because that kind of thinking, we need to get rid of people in order to expand. That kind of backwards thinking is exactly what L. Ron Hubbard encourages in, in his policies and what Miscavige is continuing. The idea, in case you really can't get your wits around this at all, it sounds so alien because it's, it is bizarre, is Hubbard asserts many times in, in his policy letters that the world is busting down the doors to get Scientology. They can't get enough of it. They, they, they want Scientology so bad that they, will, that they will come flooding into your organization unless somebody 
is standing at the door stopping them. And it's and so this idea comes in that there could be these bad eggs, these bad apples who who are disguised. They they pretend to be staff. They pretend to be Scientologists. They pretend to be on board, but really they're just psychotic and they're trying to stop Scientology and they stop people at the door and won't let them in. And of course, this is all a fantasy. None of this is real. This ne- that, 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 none of that's true. But L. Ron Hubbard says that's, that's, that is true. And that's where that attitude comes from, that if we just got rid of the bad eggs, people would flood in here all on their own. So I just wanted to throw that out there. No, that's an excellent point. And I think that to put it into another context of what we're talking about, to really illustrate how, how Scientologists, what they believe and what they think about this. We talked about these three divisions of people, the mm-hmm. people that are still in physically, but really out in their mind and kind of fading away from the organization. Uh, people that are in, but you know, they're kind of going, well, I don't agree with this stuff, but I'll go along with it for my own sake. And then people that are devout um, still fully believe everything, even if the, even those are being targeted and uh, failing. But we, if we have these three groups, if Miscavige tomorrow came out and declared the up the upper third, he said, all these people, these are not real Scientologists. They're actually SPs and they're stopping us. Yep. And that's the reason that Scientology is not expanded. Uh, I just declared 10,000 people. That core group of people would clap and cheer. That's right. That's right. Die so hard. If, if he came out and cut Scientology by a third and claimed that it was because they're all SPs, the group as a whole would think that was the right thing to do and that now we're going to start really expanding. That's right. That's right. It is, it is a slow, painful death. But what, what we can sit here and say most assuredly is that death is inevitable. Whether it's a slow, painful one or whether he's accelerating it, which it certainly sounds like he's doing. And quite honestly, it, it, the way things are going right now, I, almost, I really almost wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow he did that. You know, just I to, think there will be something like that. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, yeah. There will be, because what's what's going to happen inevitably is when they start sending these staff back to their orgs after they've gotten through their training and the statistics don't go up, mm-hmm. then it becomes a witch hunt. That's right. Now it will become, there's SPs everywhere and it'll go through, they'll go through and just start declaring people left, right, et cetera. That's right. And again, you know, you've said this many times, other people have said that Scientology creates its own enemies. That's right. They are, they are, I, I really think if, if none of us were doing anything, in other words, if, if we weren't around at all, um, it would still, it would still end up crashing and burning. Exactly. And you know, what we're doing is we're, we're greasing those wheels a little bit. That's right. <laughs> That's um, right. And we're making it easy for people that are on the edge to find a way out. That's right. Um, and hopefully I'm making a way for people that are not ready to come out publicly um, but, you know, feel inspired to speak out privately and realize that you can do that and you can talk about Scientology without it ruining your life. Uh, and I think, you know, in the very near future, Scientology's ability to ruin anybody's life uh, will be hindered further than it already is. That's right. That's exactly right. Because let's face it, the Office of Special Affairs right now is down to, you know, probably a skeleton crew. And, you know, I mean, who's left and, and how many and, and, and how many brains are left in that outfit? You know, how much iner- how much is this really just running on inertia at this point? You know, 
Well, anywhere it's running, it's running towards a cliff. Yeah. And, um, you know, in a way, like we've said, or like we'd said earlier, if, if Miscavige had come out and taken full responsibility for all the horrible things that have occurred and to touch on that more, um, you know, there was what happened to the staff, which is atrocious on the public side of things. All the public had to pay a lot more for all their services with all the quarantine and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, but pretty much world around that you had to sign something that if you got sick, if you got COVID while you were there in the bubble doing the protocols, you know, sniffing the, D, the D7 or whatever they're telling you to do, um, you would be out. Right. And there were people that were out and pulled off in the middle of these up these OT levels and in the middle of the one through three OT levels, which again, mm. is a thing that is so unbelievable to have happened. It's like closing the orgs that could never happen. Nobody would ever dare, dare interfere. And yet right. now it has been interfered with. And so once that, when that veil has been pierced, you know, once that, uh, that seal has been broken, it, it's like, well, wh- where does this stop? Right. Right. And I think, you know, um, Scientology exists as the scriptures of Scientology and everything that, that Hubbard wrote. And then it exists in its corporate form and what, what the organization is doing. And as the organization drifts further, even from its own doctrines, um, there's just no way that it doesn't quickly derail because the people that are in because they like Scientology, um, well, those people are pretty much out now. The people that are in because they like the group have no group to come back to. And what's all that's left is the people that are in because they have nowhere else to go. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, this is absolutely fascinating. I think um, just based on our time and what we talked about before, I think we'll sort of move toward wrapping this one up. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Um, But I don't think this is going to be our only talk. If you're down for more, we've got more talking points. <laughs> well, let's leave it on a cliffhanger. Yes, let's do that because because uh, we do. We have other things we can talk about. For example, we have not at all gotten into the chase wave and the financial shenanigans that Scientology's also been involved with over the last few years, which we've been talking about in shows recently because it's been also another nail in the coffin. My thoughts as well. Yes. I think uh, I'll say a few choice words about that. Yeah. The, what we have colloquially taken to calling the chase wave Mm -hmm. is really a broad scale credit and bank fraud operation that occurred in Scientology from 2014 until 2019. Mm -hmm. It targeted every institution that would give them money in any form. And it was used both for staff and Sea Org in order to get donations for building funds, ideal works, or bridge. Yep. And it created an environment in which Scientology actually did look like it was expanding because there were so many people, both inside and outside of staff, going up the bridge that it seemed like, wow, this golden age of tech phase two stuff really works. Mm-hmm. And then we find out, oh, wait, <laughs> it's because it's because we have the, the credit. And now that well has run dry. So maybe next time we can talk about that whole thing. Exactly. That's exactly what I want to do. Uh, And on that happy note, again, I will thank you very much, Insider, for your inside knowledge and information and for reaching out to me and Tony and and, uh, helping the big wide world understand what's going on in that Scientology bubble world. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, You know how much I appreciate everything you do. Awesome, man. Yeah, thank you very much. 
All right, folks, I hope that you found this show this week a little entertaining, informative, and educational. And uh, certainly, I hope that you can also now see why I'm a little excited these days. Uh, because, that, frankly, this is all good news to me. You know, I've gotten over my Scientology headspace where I, where I sort of feel bad when Scientology isn't doing good. You know, it took me a little while to kind of reverse that. But, you know, that was, I was always like, damn, why don't they, you know, that kind of thing when you're part of a group for so long and you want it to succeed, you know. But now I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm cheering. I am very, very happy that this thing is going down. And I only hope at this point that it goes down as quickly as possible so that uh, as few people as, you know, as necessary uh, are, are hurt in the process. Because um, inevitably that's going to happen with this. But, um, but it's exciting times. So I guess we'll see how this rolls forward. I guess we'll see what happens. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye.